Let's go over to uh, let's go over to Matthew a minute, chapter twenty-eight, and I want us to look at a scripture here. We do have quite a few scriptures to look at today, not at, not insurmountable, but just scriptures to help us understand what level and what kind of dominion we have in the earth. And it's a uh, it's so far reaching. I don't think anybody's reached into the fullness of, including some of the old generals. If you listen to them like I have, like Dr. Summerall and Dr. Brother Hagen, those men agreed totally, said we have, some of us have stepped in the edge of it periodically as far as dominion goes, as far as authority, the authority of the believer. And let me say this. I'm talking to everybody here. You know, I'm a prophet, but it wouldn't help me any just being a prophet or just to be a prophet and not walk in authority. My authority is not based on my office of ministry. My authority is based on being a believer in Christ Jesus, having the blood applied to my life, and using the name of Jesus successfully, period. <laughs> That's where my success lies. There are other responsibilities I have, though, in my office that maybe you don't have. So I'm just talking to you here. So what we're talking about today applies to every single person. Don't, if you put yourself outside of that, then God can't help you and I can't help you. But I hope that you won't do that. Jesus said here in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus came and spake unto them saying, all power, really the word is not power, it's authority there. There's two different Greek words for power. One is exousia, which means authority, and one is dunamis, which means power. This is exousia. All authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And this is after he's resurrected, took the keys of hell and death away from the devil. Revelation chapter 1 tells us that. Jesus took the keys of hell and death from the devil and gave it back to us, to the church. Really, within those keys is the dominion that you need. You know, I'm the founder of this church. I have an A key, and plus we've changed some locks a while back, so i got K, uh, three keys now to get in all the... But initially, when, when I started the church, I had one key, an A key. It opened every door in the whole facility, from the external doors to every internal door. See, that's kind of authority you got. I don't think you've gotten in all your rooms yet, but I'd like you to try and move ahead with me here a little bit and think with me. I'm not putting you down. I'm trying to expand you, but if you don't want to be challenged, then I can't help you. A lot of things in your life are self-inducing because you don't talk to them. They just stay and they grow. <laughs> and they get bigger. But you got to talk to them. That's why you got a mouth to speak. And speak the answer, not the problem. You talk the problem and the problem will grow bigger. That's the reason I don't talk about a lot of things. Certainly not publicly. Because it didn't people just misrepresent everything I'd say. And I'm preaching the Bible to you today. All authority is given unto me, Jesus said, in heaven and on earth. So that's every, every authority in earth has to bow to the name of Jesus. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world or the end of the age. But what I'm trying to show you is immediately when he tells us he's been given all authority... He turned around and gave it back to us. You know, Jesus isn't here. I hope you know that. He's not here anymore. He don't live on this planet. And even if he comes in vision form, that's a different operation. He don't live here. He does not have dominion here anymore except through his body. And it's the only authority he has. 
through his body. If the body doesn't use it, he can't. No, praise God. Trying to help you. This authority is delegated power. And the value of the authority is the force behind it. See, like we think about a regular policeman in our community, you know, if they put their hand up, you usually stop. And if you don't, they shoot at you or get your license number and pull you over at the next light or whatever. They, and I don't blame them. And then we have FBI, CIA, Secret Service, <laughs> and all kinds of stuff like that. And then Sean and I went to Mexico City a while back, you know. And we got off the airplane and Paco met us and he said, these are my bodyguards. And I thought he was teasing at first. They're dressed in suits. They were packing. And they said, I said, why you got bodyguards? He said, my father's the DEA general in Mexico City over drugs enforcement. He's busted 100 drugs lords and hadn't lost one police officer. That's amazing in Mexico because they just kill you for fun down there. My driver that drove me one year, they killed him because he was driving for a senator. They pinned him in at a corner and just opened fire on him. He had 23 slugs in him when they buried him. He defended the senator, and the senator, senator got away. But, I mean, they just came with massive machinery, you know, AK-47s, three or four SUVs, and pinned him in. The senator got away. See, they're not playing with it down there. So for him to catch 100 drug lords and put them in jail was incredibly devastating to the drug world. <laughs> and so they put a contract out on him and all of his children. So he said, these guys are going to be with us all week. I felt like Harrison Ford, clear and present danger. It really is a true story. And Sean can validate this. One day we left the hotel and they were in a hurry. And one of them jumped out of his car and held up this gold shield like that. And everybody came to a screeching halt and we took off. And he jumped in his car and they followed us. Because they're federal officers. They're not just local. They're federal. They work for the federal government of Mexico. And they have badges that represent that. And you better stop or they'll open fire on you. You know. And they went with us everywhere. I know you may think I'm making this up. But am I making this up? We, we go to a restaurant. One would stay with the car. He'd be in a different car. But he'd where he could observe that car. Because they thought they'd put a bomb underneath it when we started it. It was But you know we were kept by the power of God. I'm just telling that. To, but this is a real story. Real implications. One came in the restaurant. I never did notice him much. He didn't sit with us, but he kept his eyes on everybody else. So we're talking about authority here. We're talking about authority. Do we have authority we don't know about? I'm asking a rhetorical question. I'd like you to think with me. Do we have authority that we don't know anything about? Do we have authority we're not using? I'd have to say Absolutely everybody, you're not using it to the fullest, and me either probably. That's why I'm teaching it. If we don't know we have authority, it won't work. You know, if you know you don't have authority, you're not going to get in some places. I mean, I went down to the, what's that called, the government building downtown, and I forgot I had a little knife in my pocket. It's only that big that they made me take it out and give it to him. He said, you can go back and put it in your car if you want. And I said, well, I'm in a hurry to get in here. You can keep it. But he wasn't going to let me go through those doors with that knife in my pocket. It wasn't a big knife, just a little teeny one, but that's his job to keep that building safe. And they got policemen located on the first floor and a metal detector. Maybe empty everything out of my pockets. See, I didn't have access. I think if I was the mayor, he'd probably let me in. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe that's his job just to keep it. But anyway, you see what I'm saying. So if we don't know we have authority, it won't work. If we know we have authority yet don't act upon it, 
it still won't work. So me teaching it to you will not do you any good if you take good notes and don't do anything with it. Just throw it on a shelf when you get home. Come back next week when the bell rings and somebody will be here teaching. We've got to do something different than the way we've been doing it. That's what I'm trying to say. I've been here a long time, you know. <laughs> I mean, as a preacher in this church, 35 years roughly, something like that, 34 and a half or whatever it is now. But we've got to pay attention. Some of these things are critical for us to get a hold of when it comes to authority. So let's go over to Ephesians chapter 1 a minute and look at something here. Ephesians chapter 1. And Brother Hagin made this comment, but I agreed with him. Ephesians has more to say about uh, your authority than maybe any other, you know, New Testament book. And I'd like you to start with me, instead of going to chapter 1, let's go over to chapter 6 a minute. I want to show you something here. Ephesians 6, because sometimes we read that and we don't realize that if chapter 1 was before chapter 6, how many knows that? <laughs> chapter 1 is before chapter 6. That's not hard to understand. Just acknowledge you're listening to me a little bit. Okay, nod at me or something. Okay, Ephesians 6 verse 10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Didn't say anything about being strong in myself. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might, His authority, His strength. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the strategies or the tactics of the devil. That would be a better word there, tactics. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, and against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now you read that and you think we're in a constant battle. Well, there are these things we deal with, but let me go back to chapter 1 with you for a minute. Look here. Uh, he says in chapter 1, this will make sense in just a minute, verse 16, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, just made mention of us, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Now, see, he's, trying, he's getting us, we should be praying this prayer every day. I've been praying it for about 30 years. That Father would give unto us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Not knowledge about Jesus, the knowledge of Him personally. So you look, oh, I read you back in Matthew there. All authority is given to Him, but He gave it back to us, to the church, to use. And it's got to be revealed to your spirit. You're not going to get this just because I teach this once. And I haven't got, you know, umpteen weeks to teach it because God's dealing with me about prayer right now. But I'm, I'm trying to finalize some things. I taught a couple lessons on it a, a while back if you were here. The eyes of your understanding, or I would translate the eyes of my heart being enlightened, that enlightenment would come to my inward man. Are you listening? That I may know... Not, not surmise or hope or probably kind of, sort of. Know that I may know what is the hope He is calling me. Why did you call me? And what's the riches of the glory of His inheritance that's in me? Part of it's our authority that's in us. Okay. And then He says, And what is the exceeding greatness of His power to us who believe, according to the working of His mighty power, which He wrought in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Now let's hold, hold your finger there where it says heavenly places. Let's go to chapter 2 and let me read verse 5 and 6 then I'm going to come back. Even when we were dead in sins, that didn't mean physically dead, that means spiritually we were dead to Jesus Christ. We were not alive in Christ yet. When we were dead in sins hath quickened us, quickened just as another word for made us alive. 
He made us alive together with Christ. By grace are you saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now get this. I've been saying this for 10 years. I don't know. I've been here off and on for that amount of time. But you're not a sub anything. You are a joint heir with Jesus Christ. There's, there's no higher place in the universe other than God himself who sits on the throne. But at his right hand is Jesus. At his right hand and right hand is, right, is authority. That's what right hand means in the Bible. And what it means back in history. And that's why, you know, back when we read about Jacob, he switched his hands on those two grandsons because Manasseh was the oldest. He should have got the blessing of the firstborn, but he didn't because he messed up. But we're seated with him, it says here, chapter 2, raised us up together and made us sit together. Some people made fun of me one time. Well, you just act like you just all that in a bag of chips. I said, I'm not acting like anything. I've been raised to sit with Christ. I don't know about you. Are you saved? Well, I never heard that before. You mean you never read Ephesians before? I guess not. We well, might have read it. You didn't pay attention to it. I've been raised to sit with him, and I didn't do it for myself. He did it for me. This is this, nothing to do with you. It's not about self. It's he raised us up and seated us together with him. I don't think you see that yet. You'd be screaming and taking a lap. He raised us up and seated us with him in heavenly places. Now I'm going to read where that place is at in chapter 1 so you could compare that to chapter 6 so you're not just warring every day. You know, if you just pray right and talk right, a lot of that stuff would stop in your life. You might have pressures periodically, trials, that comes to all of us, but you can always get on the other side of things. I don't wake up every day thinking about the devil. I never wake up any day thinking about him. But if I do, I put it on him. I say, you're bound. I give you no place in my life. I give you no place in my speech. I give you no place in my marriage. I give you no place in my children. I give you no place in my grandchildren. And I talk like that to him. He don't like it. I could care less. He runs off. Scurries off. Oh, my gosh. You know. Now, where are we seated? With him in heavenly places. Look at verse 21. Far above. I'm not just barely above, just barely above to get my nose above the water. Oh, God, I hope I can breathe. I've seen some movies where they shot people and they were trying to gasp for air in the car that's drowning. You know, and they got out, but that's no way to live. Far above. All principalities and powers. All of them, yeah. And mights and dominions, that's every dominion there's named, and every name that's named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And hath put all things under his feet. How many know your feet are not in your head? That looked like a strange creature. Feet coming out of you. No, your feet's in your body. We're the feet of Jesus. We're the hands of Jesus. He's the head, we're the body. Not me the body, but we are the body. Not trying to elevate myself. If you're in the body of Christ, you're a part of that body. Even if you're the left little toe with the mole on the bottom of the left toe, little toe, you're still in the body. You know, Jesus can't do anything here without us. You think I'm kidding? Just cut your head off, see what you can do. You can't do nothing. Your body has to carry out the will of your head and your thoughts and things like that. And that's the same for Jesus. His body. If we don't listen to him, he's not carrying out anything with us. He might be with somebody, but not us if we're not listening. Because he's going to have to use us to get things done. 
He's in heaven, we're on the earth. You know that, we're on the planet. Okay, so it says, He put all things, verse 22, under His feet and gave Him to be the head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him that filleth all in all. Anybody got an Amplified Bible handy? Somebody close to me? Okay, well, okay, Donna, that'll, that'll work, thank you. I wanted to read a little comment here, a little part of this phrase. In Ephesians 1, he, verse 22 again, let's look at this. And he has put all things under his feet and hath appointed him the universal and supreme head of the church. Now listen, a headship exercised throughout the church. So even though I'm not the head, he's sharing his headship with me. So I'm in that position now to do what I need to do. Whatever authority he has, I have. Whatever power he has, I have. Whatever he has, you have. Now the devil will talk you out of it and your parents probably talked you out of it. You're stupid, you're fat, you don't know nothing, you're never going to mount. Don't listen to that. My wife tried to help us with that. Or just the devil telling you that or somebody you work with makes, and makes you feel uncomfortable or un, you don't know, like you're not with it. Or You just got to ignore all that stuff. You don't have to talk back to people. Just talk back to the devil. No, this headship, this Amplified Bible, I told you this 1,700 times. I went to seminary. I had to take Greek, you know. I, I made good grades, A's and B's. I know what I'm talking about. I'm not a Greek scholar like Rick Renner, but I can read. And I'm telling you, the Amplified Bible is the closest to the Greek of any translation I own, period. And I've got 40, 35 or 40 in my bookcase at home. All kinds of people that were smart. But the Amplified's the best. And it says a headship exercised throughout the whole body, so throughout the whole, throughout the church. So we're the body, the church is the body, and it's ex- whatever the head has, the foot has, the knee has, the hip has, <laughs> your eye has, your ear has. See? And it's exercised throughout all of us, whatever, wherever we fit in the body of Christ. That same lordship, that same dominion, that same authority, that same, you can't see Jesus wringing his hands over some stupid demon-possessed person or any kind of sickness or disease. He just took it all on and got them healed, got them delivered. If they were listening, now some people didn't get it because they didn't listen. And some people didn't get it because they didn't come back and thank him. They had leprosy. They were missing a finger or a nose or an ear and they didn't get it replaced like the guy that came back. The Bible says God, he was, because he came back to give thanks, God made him whole. W-H-O-L-E, his nose grew back, his ear grew back, his feet grew back, toes. Yeah. You think I was being mean talking to somebody got healed here of cancer and never even came back to thank me. (laughs) Well, you need to thank God. I'm not the healer. But the point was, that's uncalled for. Why would you do that? When you get healed of something that's killing you and you're not even thankful for it. To my knowledge, never sent an offering even. Not to me, but to the church. What's up with that? Well, I'm telling you, that's not good thinking. I'd be surprised if you don't end up with worse. You know, I'm just talking about knowing my Bible. Not mad at anybody. If you don't want to be thankful, don't be thankful. But you're putting yourself in a bad position. See, we're the body of Christ. He can't do anything without his head. I can't do anything without my head. My body, because my head says I want to go over here, I got to walk. I got to make myself go. If I'm talking, I got to talk. Are you still here? Yeah. 
Praise God. So we should be praying Ephesians 1 over ourselves every day. And you don't have to be a rocket science. You could read it and pray it. Well, that sounds so childish. Well, let it sound childish to you if it needs to, but just keep doing it. Like I know a pastor friend, he said, well, I quit, Lord. I quit. He said, that's all right. Quit all you want. Just show up for work on Monday. <laughs> you know, we all had to read this the first time we read it. And sometimes a hundred times we read it and still didn't have it memorized. Like I could pray it pretty much verbatim now, like you heard me when I started a minute ago. But not bragging on me, just paying attention. But when I first found this out, and it wasn't like it was a long, drawn-out thing. You've got to spend 20 hours of intercession. Listen to what he said. I cease not to give thanks for you making mention of you. I just made mention of you in my prayers. He didn't go into some deep intercession, he said. Now, that may be required with some people, but that's not what this says. I just made mention of you in my prayer. And then he prays this prayer over them. That they would have enlightenment, that light would come, that it would dawn on them, that the light would break on their spirit. I call it the tumblers all lined up. <laughs> and let me say, this is one of those, this is one of these sermons or series that I've taught you about. Is you're not going to get it just because I preach it once. You're going to have to meditate on. It. You're going to have to look up the scriptures in your Bible and maybe buy you an amplified if you could afford that someday. Or do something and meditate on these things. Stop and think about what's being said today that you have authority that the world doesn't know anything about. Amen. See, because being a drug, ex-drug person, I thought money and fisticuffs and weapons would put me over in life. And that'd take care of about everything I knew to take care of. But I was deadly wrong. And when I heard Brother Copeland preach that word, that scripture, <laughs> that message on words... I said, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. See, because I was carnal, I, was, I didn't have my mind renewed very much. I was stuck in a denominational church, went to a denominational seminary, and just graduated three months before. So I didn't know the things I'm teaching you today. When you're immature, you think a lot of things sound stupid. But once you settle in and start paying attention and meditating on some of these things and thinking through on it in your own personal life, and spending the time to get in your Bible where you wear some Bibles out. And see it and you know it and you know it and you see it and you walk with it and you engage it and you have relations with it. You begin to know the scriptures and you begin to know them. Not just you know where it's listed. You know you know. <laughs> and the devil knows when you know you know. <laughs> you know he said uh, Paul I know and so and so I know. Jesus I know but who are you guys? They were trying to cast the devil out of somebody. thought, we're going to try this. It's pretty cute. Let's see if we can get it done. And that devil whipped all of them, stripped them down. They ran away naked and beat up. But you don't see that in Jesus' ministry, and you don't see that in his staff. I mean, they had some issues. He had to straighten them out, you know, about things, their authority. They already had it, but they dropped the ball somewhere between Matthew 10 and Matthew 17 because they couldn't get that boy delivered in Matthew 17. He'd already given them authority in Matthew 10. But they didn't pay attention. <laughs> you can't drop the ball in this. You have to pick it up and play with it again if that's the case. Let me talk about you. Listen to, so you need to be praying Ephesians 1. You could pray it 15 times a day or 1,500 if you want. I mean, I could care less. I think that you ought to get acquainted with it because it's revealing to us my position in Christ Jesus that's far above. <laughs> Not just barely surviving. <laughs> no, I'm more than a conqueror. Because that's what he is. 
If I'm a joint heir with him and he's more than a conqueror, then what am I? I'm more than a conqueror. If he has the keys of hell and death, I have the keys of hell and death. Now, I can't claim that for everybody, you know, because not everybody wants to live on. Some people, you know, whatever the situation is, you know what I'm saying. Sometimes you can get it done and turn things for people. Sometimes you can't. There's other circumstances involved. Hallelujah. Let me show you something else. Well, let's look here at Ephesians 3 a minute. Look at this other scripture in Ephesians 3, 16. Let me back it up to verse 14. You still with me? Ephesians 3, starting in verse 14. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you don't have to do that. It's good to get on your knees periodically and pray. I'd recommend it because it's this form of humility. But you could be on your knees and pray and be full of the devil too. And not be humble at all. Just putting on a show for somebody. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. I think Pastor Diana had a little glimpse of heaven a while back. She said she saw Dr. Dufresne and Brother Jacob up there in the throne room worshiping. worshiping. When we were singing a song about worship that we had entered into, yeah. God showed me we were in there with them. Uh-huh. We were in there with them. Yeah, heaven's closer than you think. And this is indicating this, of whom the whole family is named both in heaven and on earth. See, this is only part of our family down here. You know, I've had to do a lot of funerals over the years. I haven't appreciated any of them, but I did them anyway because people needed comfort and help. But anyway, anyway, so the part of the family is in heaven. <laughs> My wife had a vision one time of her parents. They looked like they were 30 years old. And it was like a Disneyland presentation. They were marching down the center of the road and people were on the sides cheering them on and they were playing music and it was just a wonderful thing after her mom left her, after her mom went to heaven, you know, my, my mother-in-law. We, the, what? <laughs> Did I not say it right? It, remember the song. When the saints go marching in. And it was a vision that we were the saints and we were marching into, into heaven down Main Street, USA, like down Main Street in heaven. And then the sidewalks were packed with the people already in heaven. Yeah. And I saw them to the side waving at us as we were marching into that. Side. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I got it wrong here. They okay. were, they were, yeah, they were waving at us from the sideline, but they were just 30. And they were, you know, he was 60 and she was 87 when she went home. So, hey, they got adjusted. And they did. She didn't look like she'd missed us, but she was glad to see yeah, us. Yeah, she didn't look like she'd missed us, but she was glad to see us. <laughs> I don't think if you're in heaven, you're going to miss too much of anything, really, which you're in heaven. All right. Now, let's go. Let me see. He bowed his knees, and he's praying this. In verse 16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. And you should just put your name in there and say that you would grant me according to the riches of your glory, that I might be strengthened with might by your spirit in my inward man, that Christ may dwell in my heart by faith. That I being rooted and grounded in love, I may be able to comprehend with all the saints what's the height, the length, the breadth, and the depth, and know the love of Christ that surpasses human knowledge. Did I quote that pretty good? With all the fullness of God, now unto him that's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. He's able to do beyond what I can think. I can think some pretty big things sometimes anymore. But he's able to go beyond me according to the power that worketh in us. It's according to that power that's working in me and working in you. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages. And really that's talking about us manifesting the glory because we're the church. Mm -hmm. 
When the glory manifests, all kinds of things happen. People get healed, people get delivered, yes. people get their needs met, yes. people grow arms out that were stubs, and all kinds of stuff can happen. Yes. So I'm kind of going over this quick with you, but pray these two prayers in Ephesians. Make it a point to do that every day, or at least the, the, I do chapter 1 and chapter 3 personally. I like Colossians also, the prayer over there, 9 and 10, but I'm not going to go there with you right now. But I'm just telling you, if you pray these prayers in Ephesians, you start having more enlightenment. When was we teaching that in Bob Willie's little trailer home? 1978, Dale? I taught, little, I taught Brother Hagin's book, The Authority of the Believer, the little one, not the bigger one he has now. It was just a little thin book then. The authority of the believer. Well, we hope you. Hallelujah. Anyway, we were teaching that in 1978. Teaching to three other men in my church or four other men in my church. The men's group. That was the men's group then. Hallelujah. I don't mind, I don't mind preaching to four or 8,000. I've been in Fiji. I've preached 8,000 people on the grass. They were standing everywhere. So we're not into numbers. We're just into helping people. But you should be praying these prayers right out of your Bible. And you know, you don't have to read the whole thing every day. You could just read a verse or two. But then think about what you're praying and think about what, how God's going to meet that answer to you and enlighten you. <laughs> you know, uh, Pastor, or no, Brother Mitch, he got invited to one of the president's inauguration and he sent him a letter back, Mitch Morgan, he worked for Dr. Dufresne. He said, no, thank you. I'm around greatness every day. I don't think he cut that, but he's, he's thinking about Dr. Dufresne as a prophet and a man of God that he was. He was around greatness every day, and he appreciated and valued. They wasn't putting the president down or nothing. He just wasn't interested. He said, I'm around greatness every day. See, when people think different, you, you begin to function different in the planet. You know, just talking to you here. You listening to me? All right, let's go back to Matthew chapter 8 here. This is an important thing I'm going to bring up to you. And then we've got a few more scriptures, and then we're going to minister to you if you have some needs today. If, if you want to be ministered to, I'll be glad to minister to you. Lay my hands on you and bless you, pray for you, and help you any way I can. I'm trying to say this is a kind of a comprehensive subject. It's a big subject. We talk about the authority of the believer, but this is... This came to me by revelation several years ago, and it's the man that had the uh, servant that was at home sick of the palsy, verse chapter 8 of Matthew, verse 6, saying, Lord, my servant lies at home sick of the palsy, he shook, kind of like Muhammad Ali did. I saw him when he was elderly, he was, he'd shake like this all the time, grievously tormented, and Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered, this is a Roman guy, he's not an Israel guy. Answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed, for I'm a man under authority. Now get to this. I'm a man under authority, having soldiers unto me, and I say to this one, Go, and he goeth, and to another come, and he cometh, and to my servant do this, and he doeth it. In other words, this is the case I want to ask you, are you under any authority? Because you won't have authority if you're not under authority. I know of a lot of Lone Rangers, you know, that I say, who's your pastor? Well, I don't have a pastor. Well, that's not very smart. You don't have a pastor, you can't submit to somebody? You know, that's, or you might be in a church and you might call somebody pastor, but it's your heart submitted here. Are you teachable? 
even when I'm teaching you. I'm not the pastor, but I'm teaching you. I'm doing a good job, doing my best to teach you about this subject. And I'm asking you a rhetorical question here. You must be under authority to be an authority. That's why I had to ask some people to leave this church. They were out of control. One of them lied to a policeman and said he was under my authority. The policeman called me and I talked to him. I said, he is not under my authority and I want you to come see me in my office when I get back in town. And he came and talked to me and Sean about it. I said, I hope you get him. I'm done with him. He was doing something he shouldn't have been doing. Illegal. That's all I'm going to say. You don't have to figure out who it is. Just be thankful I got some backbone. But if you're not under authority, you don't have authority. And I wonder in your home sometimes, are you out of control, husbands and wives or children and parents? And You know, if, you don't, if you're not under authority, you can't use authority appropriately. That's what this scripture is telling me. And not only that, he says in the next verse, verse 10, Jesus said he marveled and said, I haven't found so great faith, no, not in Israel. I mean, the only two times I know that Jesus said that, one time he marveled at unbelief in a group of people, and he marveled at this guy who had great faith. And he wasn't even an Israeli. You know, he was sent mainly to the lost sheep of Israel, Jesus. But then he did minister to some other people along the way if they acted right. Like the Syrophoenician woman who had a daughter that was demon-possessed. And he said something, look, sound like derogatory to her, but she said, well, Lord, don't the dogs eat of the crumbs that fall off the master's table? My God, lady, you got faith. Be it unto you as you will. And her daughter was delivered and wasn't even in the meeting with him. Back at home, got delivered at home in the bed. Hallelujah. Yeah. Because she had respect for his authority, Jesus. Just like this guy, he said, don't, you don't even come under my roof. You are so special. In other words, he's saying, like I say to my servants, he's a centurion, he's got 100 soldiers under him. Century means a hundred, centurion. So he had a hundred, and he said, I say, this guy come and go, and you know, military, you don't say, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I've been in the military. You don't talk that way to your superiors. You will just lock you up. Put you in jail for until you, you simmer down. <laughs> yeah, you don't do stuff like that. Yeah, so if it's in wartime, they might shoot you if you get like that, you know. But anyway... It says, I'm a man under authority. I'm asking you a rhetorical question. I'm riding it a minute. Just I want to ask you to think about, am I under authority correctly in this church? Am I under authority in my home? Am I under authority to my parents? Or am I being a renegade? You know, rebellious. Because the more you strip yourself of being under authority, you demean yourself to where you can't use authority anymore. That's what the Lord showed me out of that one time. When I taught on spiritual fathers. That's right. Spiritual father's not a dictator. He's just smart. And he's trying to help people under him not make the same mistakes, mistakes that he's made. And, you know, maybe went shipwrecked in. I wouldn't do that if I was you. I don't think I'd do that. <laughs> you know, trying to save people. And some listen and some don't. But you have to be under authority for your authority to work. Maybe you don't like me. Maybe you don't like the way I talk. Well, that's, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. I'm just who I am in Christ and just telling you the truth. You just have to learn to be under authority properly to use authority. All right. Now, we're talking here, but let's go over to Romans chapter 5. Hallelujah. Romans chapter 5, and I think it's verse 17. I think it's from a, a different translation, maybe the um, 
New American Standard. Let me see. I think I put a piece of paper in here with it on there. One of my old newsletters. Yeah, Romans 5, 17, it says, For if by one man's offense, that's talking about Adam, the first Adam, Adam and Eve, death reigned by one. No, in other words, Adam had dominion, and then he sold out to the devil. So the devil got that dominion. Then he began to lord it over all of creation. Talking about the devil. Then Jesus came, this is in a nutshell, Jesus came, got the dominion back, and gave it back to his church. Now you rule and reign in the earth until I take you home. That's the plan of redemption right there in a simple nutshell. Adam had it, Adam lost it, Jesus got it back, gave it to us. And he expects us to use our authority correctly. Not, not, not to lord it over people, but to deal with spirits that try to corrupt things and make things hard on us. When it's financial or physical or any other, you've got to stand against those things. And sometimes they don't yield instantly, but they will yield if you stay with it. Yeah. I like when somebody said, I don't got to hold out against the devil. The devil's got to hold out against me. And he, if he don't know me yet, he knows me pretty good by now. But he knows I'm going to stay with it and I'm going to put it on him every time I see him. Every time he shows his head, I'm going to slap his face. And not let him ever forget it. See, I don't know about you. I just know about me. I had a pain in my side for 14 years. I'm determined it's never coming back. And I had that pain for 14 years. I would have got I had it 14 days or four hours, but it isn't the truth. But I'm talking about using your dominion. In Romans 5:17. If by one man's offense, that's Adam, death reigned by one, spiritual death began to reign over humanity. Much more, they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. He, and the one translation says here, exercise dominion in this, this life, through the one man, Jesus Christ. See, because of what Jesus did, he, what he did on the cross and through his death, burial, and resurrection, he more than enough paid for what Adam had and then some for us to give us a position nobody had ever known before. Join heir with Jesus. I mean, even Adam wasn't that. He was made a shade lower than God, but he was not a joint heir with Jesus Christ. So we're seeing that this, this here, it says through the gift of righteousness, it's a gift. I didn't earn it. It's just a gift. And I'll begin to reign. You and I can reign in this life by one Jesus. I'm reigning because of Jesus. I'm not reigning just because I'm Michael Jacobs. Now, my name was Michael Jacobs and I was a loser. When I was a drug addict, I wasn't reigning over anything. Everything was reigning over me. <laughs> my drugs, my lust, my flesh, everything I wanted to do, I just did that. And the devil took advantage of me. I ended up with hepatitis, lost, losing 80 pounds, being sick, had to have surgery. On, on and on I could go with that. It was not a picnic. And eventually I woke up from a bad life and I said God I, I need your help I don't know how to fix me <laughs> would you take me he said yeah I'll put you together and he did now I'm going to read you something from Dr. Summerall because this is, this is a great it's three hindrances to dominion you still with me see you're reigning now through Jesus Christ through his dominion he gave us we're reigning through the gift of, he made us right with heaven he made us right with the father now, it wasn't just the day I gave my life to the Lord. That's forever and ever if I'll stay right. And if I do make mistakes, what do you do? I'm going to tell you, I repent. If I make a mistake, I repent. If you jack me, I'm going to forgive you. 
Just remember that. I'm going to forgive you anyway. You may not stay in the church if you do something atrocious, but I'm going to forgive you regardless. And if I miss it, I'm going to repent quick. I'm quick to repent. Tell God I'm sorry. My family can tell you that. I've always been quick to repent since I figured this out. I don't want to go a day and be in sin and not repent of something. If the Lord says, your attitude stinks about this over here, I want that corrected. Yes, sir, I'm correcting that right now. I'm sorry, I won't do that anymore. And he always says, good. <laughs> he didn't say, I'm not going to forgive you that. No, he's never said that. And some things come in repetition. I know you wouldn't admit it, but some things in your life come back and back and back. And you've got to learn to put your foot on it once and for all on the neck of that thing and stand on it. And you're not getting up again. I'm not going to allow you to get up. I may know what I'm saying here. All right. Three hindrances to dominion. This is by Dr. Lester Summerall. Today, only a few elements can keep a man or woman from entering into his rightful realm of dominion. Number one, ignorance is the first of those hindering elements. Ignorance. When a person does not know he has, he cannot possess. One could be willed an estate of a million dollars, yet if never learned of the will, he could die a pauper. Brother Hagen told about a guy, they, was, he died in his room, and he used to sell papers in Chicago. He had a money belt with $40,000 in it, and they found, I don't know, 20 more thousand in his room when he died. He could have stayed at the nicest hotel in the city and ate at the fancy, and he ate out of the dumpster. And he sold newspapers for a living. Everybody knew him. He was just a, a hobo, we might call him, or a homeless person. And he had all this money, but he wouldn't spend it. How many of you know what I'm saying here? Number two, unbelief is an element which keeps a person from entering into his divinely appointed position of dominion. I like the way his divinely, <laughs> let me read that again. Let me see where I'm at here. From entering this divinely appointed position of dominion. Think about it. Jesus gave us a divine position of dominion. And because of unbelief, we won't enter into it. And then we go over to the book of Hebrews. You could read this later, chapter 3 and 4. Their unbelief kept them out of the promised land. Their unbelief. God said, I give you the land. Take it. But they said, oh, we can't do that. We're like grasshoppers in their thigh, sight. Remember uh, Moses and uh, Joshua, I think, was the two that made it. They said, no, we're not. We can take it. They're bred for us. It, their defense has departed from them. We got this. But he couldn't talk the crowd and the majority to coming with them. And had to wait 40 years because of other people. Oh, my God, I hope we don't have to do that today. I don't think we have to. And if you want to enter in, you can enter into your position, even though people around you make fun of you, you know, mock you. Who does he think he is? Who do they think you are? Well, it don't matter what they think I am. It's what God knows I am that's important. And just knowing my authority, I could help people that don't see this yes. if they'll let me teach them. Mm -hmm. But unbelief keeps people out of entering into the fullness of what we have because they didn't mix faith with what they heard. This is Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. At least there's a promise left us of not entering into his rest. And they heard the word preached, but they didn't mix faith with what they heard, and therefore it did not profit them. What a sad commentary on people. They didn't mix faith with what they heard, and it didn't profit them any. The Bible's always trying to profit you. Mm -hmm. 
P-R-O-F-I-T, you know, trying to enhance you, to enlarge you, to carry you, to expand you, to enlarge your, your yes. faith, enlarge your influence, enlarge your dominion. Yes. That's the way God thinks about us. Sin, this is number three, ignorance, unbelief, and sin is the greatest element to destroy man's position of dominion. When a person transgresses, he lowers himself from the limits and privileges which God ordained for man beginning in the Garden of Eden. It is essential for a person to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus and to remain clean to exercise dominion. You hear, you, I'm going to say that again. It is essential for a person to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. If you have my deliverance book, I wrote a chapter at the end of that book on the blood of Jesus. Because I thought I was done. I had 10 chapters and the Lord said, you're not done. I said, I'm not done. I thought that last chapter, How to Remain Free, would have been sufficient. I wasn't arguing. I said, well, what, what do you want? I want you to write a chapter on my blood, the power of my blood, and put that in your book on deliverance. It'll keep people from messing up. Or if they attempt to, they'll plead the blood. And, and I think there's a, I put in there a verse in Hebrews where in the Greek it says, when you push the delete button on the computer, it's like that. It deletes that activity you just were involved in when you plead the blood. See, learn something from, from what I'm saying, even if you don't have my deliverance book about the blood. So it says, he says, it is essential for a person to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus and to remain clean to exercise dominion. I made a little word to myself, I'm living clean and living lean. Clean and lean. I liked it. See, Brother, Brother Summerall, he passed, cast that devil out of that girl at Billy Bad Prison. I don't know if you knew this or not, in the Manila Philippines. And she cursed the Father. She cursed Jesus. She cursed the Holy Ghost. And she cursed the blood of Jesus like it was a separate entity. He tells about it in his book, Bitten by Devils. Dr. Summerall. I've read it several times. And got that girl delivered. Got that girl delivered from this creature that used to come. And I won't tell you all that he did to her, but it's pretty gross. But she ripped his hair out of him. And they, scientists looked at that hair and they said, this doesn't belong to any class of an animal we know. Certainly not human. <laughs> My point is... That lady cursed the blood of Jesus because it has such power. That's why she cursed it. See, and he, Brother Summerall, he went, the mayor said, you know, he went, the mayor called him to his office and said, what can I do for you? You've killed the devil. He said, well, you might be a good mayor, but you're a poor theologian. The devil's not dead. What can I do for you? I want to hold a meeting on your steps of the, the government official here. And 100,000 people got born again in Manila, Philippines. And, of course, he had to leave eventually because the Lord said, they're starting to worship you like they should be worshiping me. Jesus told him, going to have to move you out. But the 100,000 people got saved because one lady got delivered in the prison. She cursed several of the guards and said, you'll die by tomorrow at 4 o'clock, and they died. Several of them died. When she spoke to them, <laughs> they died when she said they would. She was that possessed. But Dr. Summerall went to her in prison and rebuked that thing, and that thing came out of her. And then he said, I want you to give, because this lady was a hooker before she got in prison. She was a prostitute. He said, I want you to release her to my care, me and my wife. And he took her with her to all his meetings for several months, maybe a year. And she would start acting up in a service, and he'd run back to her. Come out of her! 
you simmer down. And that devil will leave again. Well, that's a way to get him delivered, isn't it? <laughs> he just kept her with him and his wife till she got delivered. She married a man, had children, was a normal lady. Talked to the husband about her later, about her normal activities as a woman, as a wife, as a mother. Said she was outstanding. But she just got took over by the devil through, maybe he got in through prostitution, I don't know, or some other body that was possessed, you know, did something to her, I don't know. But anyway, I'm just talking to you here. You still with me? All right, listen to me. Now let's go over to Ephesians chapter 4. I know those kind of stories get me revved up. Ephesians 4, 27, I want you to look at this with me. And I want to talk to you just for a few more minutes about your authority here and help you to see something more clearly if I can than maybe you've seen it up till now. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, be ye angry and sin not. Some things make you angry. Some things make me angry, but I got to be careful. I don't carry that on into my life and I got to repent before the sun goes down. I try not to wait till I go to bed to do that too. But be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath or your anger. Neither give place to the devil. So we can see that anger could give a place to the devil, but there's a lot of things could give a place to the devil. I think I got some other translations here of that verse, Ephesians 4:27. Do not give way to the evil one. Here's another one. And give no opportunity to the devil. Here's another one. And do not give the devil an opportunity to work. So we need to not give him a place in us or on us or around us. You know, and sometimes your friends will almost entice you to want to get involved in stuff you shouldn't be involved in. You need to judge who you run with. You know, I've been a pastor a long time, so I know if certain people start running with certain people in the church, they end up just like those certain people. That could be really good or it could be really tragic. Just talking to you here. <laughs> Carnal people run together. Gossip people run together. Strifers run together. Haters run together. Anyway, just talking. Good sheep run together with other good sheep, and they learn from the better sheep how to be a better sheep. You know, we're just talking here. Just paid attention to humans. That's what we do. That's what we do. I'm not, not managing sheep in the natural. I'm managing you as a sheep, you know, trying to feed you and encourage you and help you and enlarge you. But you've got to make sure you're one with the right people. I told my kids that when they were younger. You need to stay with the right kind of people because they will influence you and corrupt you. I think one time I prayed so good, one of, my brother, one of my son's friends, they were going to a party, and he turned to him before they got to in the door and said, I think you ought to go home because they're smoking dope in there. And Jordan came home. Yeah, the person went on in, but he warned Jordan, and Jordan got in his vehicle and came home. Another time, he told me he was at a certain house, and they were, had pistols out. And the Lord told me right then, tell him never to go back. I said, don't go back there. Within a month, same house, same people. Guy put a gun up his head. He got saved in this church right here. He was a drug addict. I tried to reach him. I said, give me your cell phone number, please. I'm an ex-drug addict. I will call you. I called him three or four times. He'd never return my call. A month later, he blew his head off in the, in the house where my son was a month earlier. But I said, you don't go back there for any reason. I don't care who invites you to come. You stay away from there because I saw something going to happen. Did you really? Yeah, really. <laughs> Learn to pay attention to those cues. If you'll pay attention down here, God will help keep you and your children alive. 
<laughs> I'm telling you. Listen, give no place to the devil. People doing drugs with weapons, I, I used to do that. I know what I'm talking about. I used to have weapons and used to be in a house full of weapons and all of us drug addicts, 12 out of 13 of us. Right. It's perfect storm for problem. All right, so we're talking here. Now, this is interesting here. James 4, let's go over here real quick. We're doing good on time. Remember, this is a big subject. I'm not trying to get more time from you. I'm just trying to give you the last few scriptures that will help you here for what I'm going to say. James 4 and 7, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. And I like to say this, submit yourselves, therefore, to the Word of God. That's the way I would read it. That's the way I would put that in there because God and His Word are one. Remember John, John's Gospel, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. Talking about Jesus then, but in the beginning it was the Word. Submit yourselves therefore to God or to His Word. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And Brother Hagin says he looked that word up, flee in the Webster's. I have that big Webster's dictionary, it's about that thick. And it says he'll run from you as in terror. One of the definitions on flee in the Webster's original dictionary. He puts his verses right in there too in that dictionary. Somebody bought me that. It's about that thick. Huge book. So this is what I want to say to you. No place in the New Testament where you are to ask God to do anything about the devil. There's no place. I've already read it. You're not going to catch me. There's no place in the Bible, in the New Testament, where you are to ask God to do anything about the devil. This is the church age, and this is our time. The New Testament teaches us that the believer is to do something about the devil. He's here now, and you must deal with him. He is a defeated foe, but he's not annihilated. In other words, he's defeated by Jesus through Jesus' blood, through his resurrection, through all that Jesus did for it. But he's not annihilated. He does exist. But you have to resist him and you have to deal with it and give him no place or he'll take a place. The letters written to the church, not one, not, not one time does it indicate to have someone else do your part in dealing with the devil. Now, I'm going to make a comment that because I don't want to confuse you. Somebody like me can help you get rid of the devil momentarily because I have authority in that area and confidence in that area. And I've, I've studied it for 40 years. I should know a little bit about it just because I wanted to help people. I got delivered initially. I could have just let it lay on the shelf and just forget it. I don't want to fool with the devil in people's lives. It's a mess. It's a messy business sometimes. But... God said, no, I want to teach you about it. I want you to help people with your authority that you have in me to help people who may be dealing with things. Are you still here? All right, so let's go, in closing, let's go to Matthew. I'm going to just show you something here. That Matthew 16, and praise God, <laughs> I'm just talking to you here. I've had a great time with you today, and... Uh, this is such a wonderful subject that should encourage us a great deal about our authority in Christ. And you have to learn it. You have to take it step by step and pay attention and meditate in some of these things for a season too. You know, think about what I'm saying to you. I mean, if people could just preach it one time and everybody's got it and walk out and get everybody free, we'd have a whole different church in a month. But 
That's normally not the case. But what I'm saying is some of you know more than others because you've received more revelation on it than others. You know what you give yourself to, that's what you follow. And I don't give myself to that. I'm not a macabre person. I don't watch horror movies at Halloween. I don't watch stuff like that because it, you know, what's, what would be the point of that? I already know the outcome. Horror movies supposed to scare the you-know-what out of you if you're a normal person. But I don't watch stuff like that. I don't tune in and watch weird stuff and macabre stuff and some kind of priest, you know, getting thrown out a window or some crazy thing like that because he tried to pray for somebody to get delivered. You know, I've never been, I've never been touched or any way provoked by praying for people for 40 years. I know what I'm talking about here a little bit. Because I have authority, not because I'm a hot rod. I just know what my authority is. And I tell them to shut up if they start to talk. And then I cast it out if the people want it. Now, there's some people I couldn't get them delivered because they really didn't want to be freed. And one time I was praying for this one lady. And I commanded the devil. The devil stepped out of her. I, I was operating in discerning his spirits. And I said, and he jumped right back in her, right in front of me. I said, sister, you got a problem. You got something against somebody. You better forgive them right now or I'm not going to pray for you again. Really? I said, yeah, really. Either get on or just leave. Either way, it's okay with me because I'm not going to fool with you. The Lord said, you got ought against somebody. Who is it? Do I have to tell you? Yeah, you have to tell me. My husband. You willing to forgive him? Yeah, I took her hand, prayed a prayer, and the devil came out. I never said another word. He just marched right away and took off. When she forgave her husband, that devil came out of her. I'd already given the faith command, but the reason he got back in is because she had ought against her husband. I don't care whether you believe that or not. I saw the whole thing. I think, Dale, you were with me. I'm not going to name the lady that it happened to, but she may still be alive. I don't know. Anyway, we're just talking here. Talking here about some things. Praise God we have dominion. All of you have dominion. We have dominion. Things bother you and upset you, take dominion over that. Now here in Matthew 16, let's look at this quickly here. I've been preaching an hour and 34 seconds, 35 seconds. Verse 16, verse 18 and 19, And I say unto thee, thou art Peter, upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. I like to say it this way, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in the realm of the Spirit, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in the realm of the Spirit. So you could bind things, the devil and his crowd, and command him to stop in his maneuvers against you and rebuke him. Are you listening? Or you could loose the power of God and the angels of God to encompass round about you and your family and keep you safe from injury, harm, and destruction. See, that's, we have the power to bind or to loose. And notice where the power is at. It's not in heaven. What does it say? And so whatever you shall bind on earth. It starts in earth when we say, I bind you or I release you. <laughs> yeah. and, and if you bind something, it'll bind it up. It'll stop it. It'll begin to dissipate. And you know, and sometimes, you know, you may not feel the effects immediately, but you'll feel the effects eventually. Yeah. Well, I mean, don't, don't, don't hang around people that get you in strife. <laughs> 
where there's strife, there's every evil work and confusion. Now, I want to talk to you just a second here. Authority over some things that I wrote down today that I'm going to pray with you about. Stand up with me, please, for a minute, if you don't mind. And you guys could move.